Hi, this is Pastor Ben Fagelin from Activate Church. I'm so glad you're listening to this podcast. I hope this message inspires you, deepens your relationship with God, and that you're encouraged in your faith. We hope to see you soon at Activate. Hey, we are kicking off a new series today, uh, and it's called You Asked For It Because You Did. So basically, if you're new to church today and you don't know what we're doing, uh, we do a series once a year called You Ask For It. We put cards on the seats. People can write down anything that they want to hear preached on. So you get to tell me what you want me to preach on. What we do is we take those cards, we divide them up into categories, and then we try to uh, group as many uh, questions together into one category and preach one message, and through that message, answer as many questions as we can. That's what I am going to do today. We actually had a bunch of questions from people that wanted to know about when God is speaking to them, when is the devil speaking to them, how do we know the difference between the voices that we sometimes here in our heads, what about deliverance or, you know, when is sickness a spiritual attack? And really, we kind of grouped all of these requests into a category I would call spiritual warfare. Um, so if you like titles, I have themed today's message, It's War. And in preparation for this message, I watched The, Ex- uh, the, the Exorcist three times and um, turns out it's just not helpful. Now, I didn't watch The Exorcist, right? I, I didn't watch that. Um, in fact, you can watch The Exorcist, you can watch Constantine, you can watch The Ring, you can watch The Conjuring, none of them are going to help you. There's no help in any of those movies, right? Don't even try Google. In fact, if you really want to know where to get good answers, you could go to the Word of God. It's got all the answers that you need in here. And what I thought I'd do today is start back at the beginning, because to be honest, I don't really know who's sitting in here today. And if you are new to church, you don't come to church very often, then it would help to begin at the start to give you some context so you understand where that spiritual war really comes from. So the Bible begins like this, and you may have heard it before, Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And there was a gap between when God created the heavens and the earth. And we know this from a number of different scriptures, but in the beginning, God created the heavens and it was amazing, you know, and and it says that everything that God created was good. And then interestingly, emerging out of the goodness of God's creation was a particular being who wanted to to be worshipped himself. He became God's adversary. And his name originally in Hebrew was Satan, which means adversary, or you just might know it better as Satan. And Satan has a number of different names. People will call him the devil. People will call him the god of this world, the dragon, you know, Beelzebub. There is a number of different names for this character we know as 
Satan, and he led a rebellion in heaven against God, and all of this before God had created people. And the Bible says, and if you want to know where, uh, you can check Revelations chapter 12 for this. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you there is more scripture in this today than what I'm going to reference, okay? So, so Revelations chapter 12, you can check this out. But the Bible says that there was a third of the, of the angels that decided they were going to follow him. And, and, it's, and it's amazing to me because these are angels that have stood in the presence of God and Satan said to them, follow me. And they said, okay. And I thought, have you seen God? Like you've stood in his presence because angels and even Satan himself, he's still created by God. And so I thought it's kind of crazy that, that, they would follow him. And this gives us just a little bit of understanding about how convincing the devil can be because he was able to convince a bunch of people that saw God and knew that he existed and they decided to follow him. And so they did that and they led this rebellion and that did not go well for them because God defeated them and and banished them from heaven. And the angels that followed him uh, became demons. And the Bible says that they are chained eternally, which kind of, you know, in my mind seals their fate. I want to read a scripture to you about uh, the devil. It comes out of Isaiah. And uh, I'm going to begin chapter 14 and in verse 12, it says this. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. That's another reference to or a name of Satan. It says, How you were cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And then it goes on to say, but you are brought down to Sheol. That is a reference to the time when God defeated Satan and banished him and, and, and kicked him out of heaven. And I'm going to be honest and tell you that he didn't really take it well. In fact, he was defeated, but he didn't want that to be the end of everything. So the story of creation of Genesis continues and it says that God created people. And I don't know if you know this, but you are created in the image of God. We already heard that this morning. You are what the Bible calls Imago Dei. So God is Father, Son, and Spirit. You are body, soul, and spirit. You are created in the image of God. You are not a little version of God. You are people, but you are a triune being in the same way that he is as well. And Satan declared war on people because people are what God loves more than anything else. If you're new to church today, please take this away. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And it doesn't matter if you've screwed up your life and made a series of bad choices and decisions. God just loves people. That's why the devil declared declared war on people. And if you know the story in the beginning, God created the first two people called Adam and Eve. Now, if you do know the story and are a little bit aware of how things went, it says that God gave them a mandate to to rule the earth and he gave them one rule. Say one one rule. Okay, so to not eat fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
So then, as the story goes, Eve was just hanging out by the trees. A little lesson in there for you somewhere. Don't hang out around places you're not supposed to be. Draw your boundaries well back from the danger area, you know. Some of you, that might be a nightclub. I don't know what it is in your life, but you know where you're not supposed to be. Might be a liquor store because that's your vice. I don't know. Whatever it is, hang back well away from the danger area. Eve didn't understand this because she hadn't heard my message. So, so Eve is hanging out by the tree and, and, and she's there and it says that there was a serpent or depending on which translation you've got, there was a snake that was, in the, that was on the tree that began to speak to her. And this is about the time that Western people begin to check out of this story because they say, are you kidding me, a snake? And I'm like, I know if they wanted to make it believable, they should have said it was a cat. Because cat, everyone knows that cats have, dogs are from heaven, cats are, anyway. So, so, so they said it was, I've, I've won 50% of you. So, so, the, so anyway, the Bible says that there was a snake in the garden that began to speak to Eve. And people would say, hey, come on, I've seen this. You, you expect me as an educated person to believe that a snake is speaking. I've seen snakes. They don't talk. And, and, and they don't even have the vocal capacity or ability to begin to speak. But that's because you're reading a word that's been translated into English but doesn't convey the meaning of the original intention. Are you with me so far today? Yes. So what I thought I'd do is if we go to the next slide, I thought I'd explain to you what that word means. Anytime. Here we go. The Hebrew word for snake, sometimes it's translated, is serpent, and it derives from the word, and, and you have to say it like you're clearing your throat, norhash, right? And it translates as snake, but that is not what it means. It means, and get a load of this, to hiss, to whisper a magic spell, to forecast and prophesy divine enchantment. And so what a lot of scholars will say is, is that when they choose the word serpent, first of all, a serpent is not a snake. It's actually a completely different creature. So we don't know exactly what it was. And maybe that creature is still not around today. But whatever it was, the description I just read to you is what it did. And, you know, sometimes what, what scholars say, they say, when you read this, it was symbolic of an evil presence. It was symbolic of something evil. So let me try to explain this to you in a way that you might, under, you might understand. Let's say that you go into the petrol station to fill up your car. And as you go in there, um, you walk to the counter and there sitting on the counter at 7-Eleven is, is some Krispy Kreme donuts, right? And the donuts begin to speak to you, right? And they say, hey, eat me. And you say, I can't eat you. And they say, sure you can, right? First of all, I'm low in fat, so it's fine. Like, eat me, right? And you're like, I can't eat you. And then the donut says to you, you don't have to eat the whole thing. Like, don't eat all of me. Just just have a little nibble, you know? Like, just just start something. You're like, I can't because what if what if uh, my, my, my wife catches me? The donut says, take the rubbish, throw it in the bin, eat the donut before you get in the car. She'll never know about it. And you can easily get away with eating it. And so in that sense, the donut speaks to you. Everyone knows the donuts don't speak, 
But do you understand what I'm saying this morning? Because what happens is, is that the enemy of your soul will speak to you in your thoughts. And I'm pointing back to a time when the enemy of your soul would speak to your mind and he still does that today. And so ever since this time, there has been a spiritual war of the enemy of your soul, Satan, against people. I want to read another scripture to you. This comes out of 2 Corinthians. And I'm going to begin in verse, chapter 10 and verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, because we're physical in, in terms of our body, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. If you're new to church, it's saying that the battle that we have is not a physical battle. You don't see people walking around just fighting the air. That's not what's happening here. It says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but we have divine power. This is people that are followers of Jesus. Divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. There is a war that has been happening for a long time now between the kingdom of God because he leads it and the kingdom of Satan because he leads it. And these two sides oppose each other. And in fact, the beginning of this war was even prophesied in the Bible. I know I'm using some scriptures this morning, but I wanted to read this to you because I think it's important that you see it. In Genesis chapter 3 and in verse 15, uh, God is, has come and he's begun to punish uh, the, the devil for deceiving Eve and talking to, you know, tricking her into eating the fruit. So he comes along to uh, Satan and he says this, I will put enmity, which is active opposition, between you and the woman, between your offspring, which is interesting, and her offspring. That's just people. What's Eve's offspring? People, humanity, right? Between humanity and the devil. It says, and he, now pointing to a specific person, a specific person that we would say is Jesus, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And scholars will say that this passage is what they call proto-evangelism, which is the very first mention of the gospel. It's the first mention of the war that would continue to be played out over time. And this passage of scripture points to a time when the seed of Eve, which we say specifically here is Jesus, will go to war and fight against the devil on our behalf. Are you with me so far? Good. Okay. Now, if you're here today and you say, well, that's cool, very creative. I don't believe in it. That's not going to help you. Not knowing is not going to help you. In fact, if this is real and you haven't seen it, that makes sense because it's not physically out there. And where would you go to find out about it? Well, you're welcome. You're in the right place to find out everything that you need to know. Now, whether you're aware of it or not, you are in some sense at war. And the kingdom of Satan is organized. They, they are not a mess. 
They are highly organized. There is a structure. There is a system. There is a process. They are strategic in what they do in trying to destroy the lives of people. And this morning, I thought I would give you two ways that the enemy of your soul will come to you and try to destroy the things in your life and try to take you out. The first thing that the enemy will do will try to cause you to doubt God's goodness. That's the first thing that he'll try to do. He'll try to get you to doubt God's goodness. And you will hear it in your head when you hear sentences or phrases that sound kind of like, why wouldn't God just heal me? Why wouldn't God protect me and my family? Why would God allow my husband to cheat on me? Why would God allow sickness to be in our family in, in this way? Why would God allow my spouse to divorce me? Why would he even set that up in the first place? Why would God allow that? Why wouldn't God do some things? Why would God do some things? And the more questions and unanswered questions you have about, yeah, that's true. Why does God act like that? And why does God respond like that? The more unanswered questions you have, the more that the devil will try to begin and to, to work doubt through what you believe to be true about God. This is so easy for me to talk about. I'm an absolute expert on the subject because this is the story of my life. I mean, seriously, I'm not even kidding. When I was young, I, I got a, a serious sickness that prevented me from being able to walk. I was so mad with God and, 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 and crossing him. I believed he existed. I couldn't figure out why he wouldn't heal me. And that unanswered question, when leveraged in my life spiritually, saw me move well away from God because I thought if he's not good, I don't want to know him anyway. And so this is what the enemy does to people. The first one is he'll get you to doubt God's goodness. The second thing that the enemy will do is to get you to doubt God's word. Now, you need to understand something this morning. The enemy of your soul, Satan, he cannot change God's word. And he doesn't have to if he can convince you that it's not true. He doesn't have to change it. He can't change what's written. He can't change the words that God has spoken. He can't change the promises that are over your life. The best he can do is talk you out of it. And when he does that, we have a word for that. It's called to deceive somebody. And this is exactly what the enemy does. The passage that we read this morning in 2 Corinthians said that, there, that we have divine power to pull down strongholds. A stronghold is a repeated pattern of thought that you cannot break free of. And I've seen the enemy get inside of people's minds, inside of their heads, and repeat a lie so often to the point where people begin to believe it. And the moment that you begin to believe it and you start to disbelieve what God can do in your life is the moment that the plan begins to go to work. You know, it, the, the scriptures tell us in many different ways that one of the things that the enemy will do is he'll try to blind people's minds, specifically people that don't believe in God. If you're a person that doesn't believe in God, uh, try to see it from the other side of the coin. Imagine if the reason that you couldn't see it is because right now that the enemy is blinding you from it. It's a different way to look at it. You know, 
that voice that comes and speaks in your head, I find, is so encouraging at times. So encouraging when it comes to telling you to go in the wrong direction. Very encouraging, you know? You know what? You deserve to be happy. Go on. Do that thing that you know is wrong. You deserve it. You've been serving. You've, been, you've loved your wife for so long. You deserve to be happy. Go on. You, you know what? You should divorce her. Do it. Divorce her. She's not even, she doesn't even love you anymore. You should divorce your spouse. Go on. Do it. You know what? You should have just one more drink. You should try drugs just one time. You should do these things you know are wrong. And the moment that you do them, he switches sides. Now he says, who do you think you are? You are guilty. And the voice of condemnation. Oh, you say, where was the encouraging devil? Oh, he was on the, he, he, where has where that guy gone, right? Well, he waits till you screw up. And then he says, you've messed up now. And you're like, who is this guy? It's all there designed on purpose to trip you up. Because if you feel guilty, the last place you'll go is to the presence of God. That's his plan. That's his goal. And if you feel full of shame, and guilt and sin and condemnation. The idea is to completely separate you from God. In fact, he, let me, let me, I don't want you to be confused about this. So let me just say it this clearly. The devil wants to destroy you. He wants to completely destroy you. Now, if your life is self-destructive enough, he'll probably just leave you alone because you're really great at doing it anyway. So I haven't seen... The devil doesn't seem to bother me ever. Oh, but your life is a total mess. He, he says, don't need my help. So he just leaves you to your own devices. But if you're a person that's actually carving a path forwards, making a difference, well, he's, he's absolutely interested in destroying your life. I went to Bible college um, years ago, and there was, I remember leaving one night, and there was all this commotion that was going on um, just outside the doors. And, and it caught my attention. So I walked over to the group and I said, guys, what's going on here? What's happening? And I said, one of these guys is really freaking out over here. I saw this, this Bible college student absolutely petrified that Satan was going to target him because he was going to Bible college. And he was so scared. He said, but what if he comes for me? And I remember being part of a group of people that were saying, don't worry about that. It's cool. Like God's got it. You know, don't worry about it. Right? He was so full of fear. He dropped out of Bible college. And I don't know if he ever returned because I didn't know him. But I know that during my time that I was there, he never came back. Why? Because he was so full of fear about what the enemy might try to do in his life. L let me explain something to you about listening to the voices that come and speak to you in your mind. You've got to begin to think about where those voices are leading. You've got to think about the trajectory. Where are they taking you? What are the voices encouraging you to do? Are they encouraging you to move away from God or towards God? Here's a couple of things that the devil will never say. You know what you should do? You should just pray more. Yeah. You know, you should just really pray more. 
You know what you should do? You should really encourage your pastors and leaders. Go on, just, just get, the devil's never going to say that. You know what would be really great? You, you should start just tithing. The devil's never going to say that to you. Yes, embrace giving. Embrace a life of generosity. Yes, you should do that. The devil doesn't come to you and tell you these things. He doesn't say, you know what would be really great this morning? I mean, look, only if you didn't have any plans. If you could just walk out and tell somebody about Jesus. Oh, I would really appreciate that. The devil doesn't say that to you. If you start to hear things like that, you can be pretty sure that it's God that's speaking to you. But if you hear the voice of constant guilt, if you hear a voice that says, make yourself happy and destroy the relationships around you, you deserve it, go on, do it, you know. If you hear the voice of guilt, if you say, if you hear a voice that says to you, never forgive that person, they have hurt you too many times. I promise you, you're listening to the voice of the enemy of your soul. In fact, if you're hearing anything like that, there's a couple things that you should do straight away. Number one, go and tell someone that that's what you're hearing so that you can get a better perspective. If you're a man, join Rob Allett's small group on Wednesday. Do whatever you need to do to get around godly people that start to frame the pattern of thinking that's in your mind so that they can say to you, you've got to stop believing that stuff stuff. That's not real. You can't think like that. You know, the Bible says that Jesus told everyone that Satan was the father of lies. That's what he does. He's a liar. He lies to people. And he, you know what? He actually lies through people. And what's really interesting to me is that when he speaks to people, there are so Many people that are totally unaware that he's even doing it. Let me give you a great example. There's a passage in Scripture where Jesus comes and speaks to Peter and he says, Who do you say I am? And Peter says, You are the Christ. Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Oh my gosh, spiritual Peter nailed it. Spiritual Peter received revelation from God, heard from God about who Jesus really was. A few verses later, Jesus is telling Peter about the time when he'll have to die, be buried and resurrected. And Peter says to him, oh, no, 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 Jesus, far be it from you to go through that. Jesus hears what Peter said. He just said, blessed are you, genius Peter. And now he says, Satan, called his mate Satan, Satan, get behind me. He is spiritual, hears from God, and yet Satan still spoke through Peter to Jesus. Don't die on the cross. Don't do that. Don't go through that pain. Jesus discerns what's going on. He says, you don't have in mind the things of God. Yes, I understand you're trying to preserve my life, but you don't realize it's going to kill everyone else. Hot tip, don't call your friend Satan. If you really care about relationships in your life, don't say, get behind me, Satan, to anyone. Even if you're thinking it, even if you're sitting next to them. 
Don't say it. Don't ever say it. You know, it's not good for your relationships. Listen, the reason people don't understand that this stuff is going on. This is why you need to be rescued by God. God comes and rescues you. You know what we call that? We call that being delivered. God has delivered to you something that you couldn't gain and possess on your own because there are so many people the world over that need to be delivered from a, either a pattern of thinking or, or a wrong mindset or maybe an addiction or maybe stuff, just junk that's going on in their life. They need to be delivered of it. And the question would be, well, how many people need to be delivered and who needs to be delivered? Are you ready? More people than you think. More than you think. Possibly even you, I, I don't know. But I know it's more than we think. You've got to begin to be aware of some of the doorways and, and things that you've opened yourself up to. Things that give the enemy room to begin to move in your life. There is, there is a, cup that, there's a, a great list of things that you shouldn't do. In fact, let's just read that really quickly. Here is a list of bad stuff that you don't want to be into. Seances, Ouija boards, horoscopes, astrological practices, fantasy games, acceptance, uh, acceptance use of a psychic or spiritual healings, ESB, clairvoyance, levitation, telekinesis, astral projection, involvement with cults, attempting to contact the dead, other religions, some music and bands, the New Age movement. Why? Because they're just doorways that you can leave open in your life. And let me tell you this right now. These, the, the, the demonic realm is not like a bunch of vampires where they have to wait to be invited in. You keep opening enough doors, they'll just invite themselves in. And you might not even be aware of it. But you know what? Dysfunction starts to be created in your life. You start to hear the voice of the enemy of your soul that starts to speak to you and, and start to try to destroy you in, in different ways. There is a couple of different attacks that people will go through. One is a spiritual attack. And despite what the exorcist does, you know, there's not a lot of projectile vomiting, although that, I guess it can happen. But, you know, when it comes to people being possessed of the devil or anything like that, to be honest, I don't believe in possession. I don't think it happens because possession implies ownership. And I don't think the devil can own you. It's not how that works. In fact, the word, thank you, one person was happy. In fact, the word that the Bible uses is a word to be demonized, which means a force is coming against you. And I absolutely believe that, that you can be demonized. I believe that spiritual forces can come against you. We, we might just call that spiritual oppression. And you know what's really interesting is if you're not a Christian, this spiritual stuff can absolutely come to you. You are defenseless against it because you don't even see it's coming. You need spiritual strength to fight spiritual battles. But even if you're a Christian, you can have spiritual oppression that comes against you. Maybe what I'm saying is controversial to you. You say, hang on, wait a minute. No way, I, I don't believe it because the Bible says that where there's light, there cannot be darkness. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I couldn't come under such kind of opposition or oppression. And I think, well, let's just play that situation out and see if that makes sense. If light can't be with darkness, let's try it with sin. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you can't sin. But the last time I checked, you seem to be pretty good at it. 
So my point is, is even though light can't exist with darkness, I'm telling you that it will still find a way to try to work its way into your life. So all you got to do, start closing the door on stuff that you know you should stop. Start closing the door on stuff that you know is on the edge. Move back far from the tree, well away from the danger area. Start to forgive people in your life. The Bible says that we should never be outwitted by Satan, by holding unforgiveness and leaving a door open to our heart and to our lives. You know, just forgive people, move on quickly. Don't hold grudges. You know, this is the kind of stuff that destroys you. That's just the spiritual side. You know, when it comes to physical stuff that the enemy tries to do to us, is it possible for the enemy to attack us physically? I'll give you a scripture for it. There's a passage of scripture where this woman who's got an issue of blood, and she, and if you know the story, uh, she's gone and spent all her money on physicians and doctors, and she makes her way uh, through this crowd and touches Jesus, and healing comes out of him, you know, and she's healed. And you know what the Bible says about that woman? It said she had a spirit of infirmity. A spirit of infirmity. It was a spiritual thing, but it was manifesting in her body spiritually. So for me, recently, um, I, I got sick and uh, a couple months back. And, and to be honest, I knew that I wasn't 100%, but never, I never want to be short of giving God an opportunity to work in my life. And, and I wanted a great testimony. So... I just decided that I was going to pray to see him heal me. Turns out he didn't do it. And I ended up going to hospital in intense agony and intense pain. And people asked me since, what would you do differently? I said, well, I would have prayed and believed, but I would have narrowed the window for God to work in my life. You know, I, I, and, and maybe this is too simple for you. If you're more spiritual than me, congratulations. But I give God a window. And if I, he doesn't answer me within a window, I'm like, well, I'm going to get a Panadol. <laughs> like you, you cut your finger, you can cast anything you want out of it. Or you could go get a Band-Aid. <laughs> like how spiritual do you want to be? Like God has given us stuff that we can use to heal us. There's, there's medicine. You know, can I just tell you, some of you need to hear this. It's not a sin to take medication. It's not a sin to take that stuff, right? But you know what I do? I always want the testimony. So I say, God, you've got three days. You don't do it, I'm going to move. You know, so, so those are my terms. I give him my terms, you know. I believe that God can heal. I've seen God heal. I've experienced healing myself, but it doesn't happen every time. I can't answer that question. I don't always know why, but I always give God an opportunity to move. You know, 2 Corinthians says, we've got to be wise to the enemy's devices, to what he's trying to do. Sometimes, you know, I've found quite often that it's not till I look back and on reflection, I realize the mental the physical, the spiritual things have all collided into one intense season of my life. And I go, I think I'm on spiritual attack right now. And I'm not trying to be super spiritual, but when these things all converge, and have you ever had a season like that where everything gets on top of you all in one time? And, and when all of that weight and all of that pressure all converges in a moment, I go, I think that that's a spiritual thing. So I begin to go to war with it. There was a man that wrote a book called The Art of War. His name was Sun Tzu. And he said, if you know your enemies and yourself, you will not be imperiled in a hundred battles. So let me tell you something about you. Let me tell you something about your enemy. Satan exists. He's your enemy. And he's already been defeated. 
He's, he has been defeated. He will try to come against you, but he will not win. He cannot change that. You do not need to be afraid. There is a war. There is a war. It has been fought and it has been won. I tell you today, the devil is done. He is done. He is finished. His time on earth is short. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Because it was a war that in all honesty we were losing until he stepped out from heaven and came to planet earth, lived the perfect life we couldn't live and died the death that we should have. And then he handed that victory to us. Isn't it interesting that the place where he died, the place where the cross was on which he died was called Golgotha. You know what that means? The place of the skull. Where does the battle happen? In your mind, between your ears. It's interesting that his victory rests on top of that place where the enemy will try to attack you most. It's been done. And when when Jesus came and, and when he died on the cross for our sins, forgave us for our sins, anybody that asked God into their life and says, God, forgive me, they receive not only the victory that comes with that, but they receive the power and the authority that comes with a commission that God gives to all of his saints, to all of the people that follow him. In fact, in the Great Commission, you know, he said, I'm sending you out now. All power and authority has been given to me and now I send you. And as I send you, I send you out in my authority. In fact, he didn't just do it at the Great Commission. There was a couple of times that Jesus commissioned people. Let me read this to you out of Luke. He sends out 72 of his disciples and he gives them authority. When he sends them out, it says this, and you won't have the scripture, but I want to read this to you out of chapter 10, verse 17. It says, 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to your name. And he said to them, I saw, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents. He's not saying, go find a snake in your backyard. If you think that he's in the middle of this spiritual commissioning and suddenly says, and you can step on some snakes while you're at it. I, think I honestly think you've missed the point of why he said it. Well, why do you think it's there in the first place? He says specifically serpents because he's making a reference, a Genesis reference. I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in the book of heaven. Let me tell you this, he who's in you is greater than he who's in the world. That spiritual battle that comes against you, you have been given what you need to fight of it. That's what the scripture said in 2 Corinthians. We have been given divine power, authority, dominion. And not only that, but we've been commissioned by Jesus to go out and make a difference in the world by pushing that enemy back, by taking the war to him, by not just being passive and and, and waiting for it to come to us. He says, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. And I have seen this. I've experienced it in my own life. I I remember as a... As a young boy um, struggling terribly with asthma, and one day, and I think I must have been about seven years old, I just began to speak out against the devil. I said, 
I just reject it and in Jesus' name, get away from me and I want to be healed. I was healed of asthma right then and there in that moment. Where does a seven-year-old get that authority to begin to push back this enemy called Satan? We get it from the same place that everyone else gets it from. It just comes from Jesus and it works if you're three and it works if you're 30. It doesn't matter who you are. It works if you're male. It works if you're female. It doesn't matter who you are. There is an authority that Christ has given to you. I have prayed for my kids and seen them healed. I have seen miracles with my own eyes. I have seen God shift things. I have seen God move and push back the darkness. The Great Commission came with authority. It says you have divine power. There is something that God has given to you so that you have what you need to push back the enemy as he comes and tries to attack you. But you've got to know Jesus because that's where all your victories and authorities will come from. So there is a passage of Scripture in Revelations chapter 12, verse 11. And it says that those that follow Christ have overcome their adversary. The accuser of the brethren, it refers to him. Doesn't, don't, don't you find that he does that? It's that voice of encouragement and then he accuses you. Hey, you're guilty. Hey, there's so many things you've done wrong in your life. Hey, I saw that. Let me remind you of your sin. Anytime you hear, you're reminded continually of the sins that you've asked forgiveness for. That's not God that's speaking to you. He said he would take your sin as far as the east is from the west. So... The scripture says that they, being those that follow God, have overcome their adversary by the blood of the Lamb. That's a reference to Jesus on the cross. Why? Because he's already paid the penalty for our sins, so we don't need to pay it. He says they have overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I love that scripture. Because when I think about it in my own life, my testimony is actually not that powerful if it were not for the fact that Christ died for me. Because my testimony is not, look how good I am. My testimony is not, look what I've accomplished. Look at how many less sins I've been able to commit than your average human. My testimony... My testimony is that 2,000 years ago, my Savior died on the cross and He made me righteous because of what He did, not because of what I did. And when I overcome my adversary, you know what I say? Not look how good I am. I go, look how big He is. Look how amazing He is. Look what He's been able to do. Look at the forgiveness that I found in my Savior called Jesus. Your testimony, my testimony is how amazing He is. We've overcome our adversary by the word of our testimony, which is that God loves us and He's defeated Satan. And that is that. It's the end of it all. I want you to stand to your feet this morning. Hey, thanks for listening to the Activate Church Weekly Podcast. We hope you are encouraged today and we would love to see you at one of our services. So to connect further with us, head over to activatechurch.com. 